good morning and welcome to Bethany Community Church. It's good to be with you all, those of you in the room and everyone joining us online today and throughout the week. Um, as Hannah said, my name is Megan and I get to serve in the area of spiritual formation here at West. And then across the six locations, I get to also work with our Ministry of Racial Justice and Reconciliation, which we heard more about today. Um, well, this Advent season, we are learning about the family tree of Jesus. So we get to hear about it through the account of the Gospel of Matthew. And for those of you that might be new to Christianity, um, there are four different accounts, uh, which we call the Gospels, about the life of Jesus. And so in Matthew's account, he names five women in Jesus' ancestry. Those five women are Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. And these are the lives that we're studying each week leading up until Christmas Eve. So uh, last week, our lead pastor, Pastor Prentice, he shared the story of Ruth. And the reason that we kind of switched this order around is because each Sunday, each first Sunday of the month, we have a tradition here in our, our community where we practice uh, having families worship together. And part of the reason to do that is that we hold this value that we should all have the opportunity to experience our children in our midst and their unique expressions of worship, which sometimes are a little bit more lively, a little bit more, a little bit more movement involved. Um, and so we want, we want to honor that again every first Sunday of the month. And so connecting the story of Rahab to last week, we know that Ruth is actually uh, the future mother-in-law, or sorry, Rahab is Ruth's future mother-in-law. We hear a lot about Naomi being the mother-in-law of Ruth, but Rahab also holds this, um, this title or this position in their family. And so in learning about this amazing woman of God, Rahab, um, I'd like to make a confession that I was one of those voices saying, maybe we should skip over Rahab this week that the kids are with us. And this was all based on uh, her profession. Her very name, scholars note, contains a sexual connotation. And in all honesty, I actually wish that we hadn't skipped over Rahab. I wish that um, we would have found a way to share her amazing story uh, and her amazing faith with our children. And so that's just kind of my, as I started to, to study more about her and learn more about her, I realized that she's one that we should, we should learn more about. So a good friend of mine who didn't grow up in the church uh, likes to say that we Christians have what's called like the greatest hits list of of stories that we know. And so did anyone get their Spotify rap in the last couple of weeks where they know, uh, just tells you what you listen to the most? Uh, anybody else out there? Uh, yeah, so each year Spotify, the music and podcast uh, search engine, will generate a list of everything that you listen to the most. And so um, they'll show you here in a minute. This is, this is my top artist of the week. Apparently I'm into the music of bearded men, plus Mary Morris. Um, but they got it spot on. Like, all of these artists, like, I know their songs, like, by heart. I could sing them. You don't want me to, but I could. Um, and when we think of the Bible stories that we know the most, it's kind of like that. Of course, there's Jesus. That's kind of the reason we're here. Uh, we know that. And Mary, mother of God, we've heard a lot about her. Um, but there's characters like Noah, Abraham, Moses, and Joseph, thanks to the Technicolor Dreamcoat that came out in the 70s and brought that to life. Um, but they come up over and over again. We know these stories. And even our secondary list of King David, John the Baptist, Paul the Apostle, all of these names, these stories, they made their way into our minds and into our culture across the U.S. at large. And we study their stories in the context of God's story over and over again. If I could nominate one more person to that list that I wish everyone could know about, it would be Rahab. Three reasons why she belongs as one of your top artists of 2022 uh, in your Spotify wrap of uh, stories is that Rahab has incredible faith. She becomes a conduit for the Holy Spirit to, to speak truth into her context. 
And her story invites us to experience and encounter God's unfailing love for everyone. So um, just turn, to me, turn with me for a second to look at Joshua chapter 2 to read her story. So Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two spies from Shittim. He sent them in secret. He said to them, go and look over the land. Most of all, check out Jericho. So they went to Jericho, and they stayed in the house of a prostitute. Her name was Rahab. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight. They've come to check out this land. So the king sent a message to Rahab and said, bring out the men who came into your house. They've come to check out this whole land. But the woman had hidden the two men. She said, it's true that the men came out and came here, but I didn't know where they had come from. They left at sunset when it was time to close the city gate. I don't know which way that they went. Go after them quickly. You might catch up to them. But in fact, she had taken them up to the roof. There she had hidden them under some flax she'd piled up. The king's men left to hunt down the spies. They took the road that leads to where the Jordan River can be crossed. As soon as they'd gone out of the city, the gate was shut. Rahab went up to the roof before the spies settled down for the night. And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. We're very much afraid of you. Everyone who lives in this country is weak with fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. We heard what you did. We've heard what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings. They ruled east of the Jordan River, and you completely destroyed them. When we heard about it, we were terrified. Because of you, we weren't brave anymore. The Lord your God is the God who rules in heaven above and on the earth below. This is the word of God for the, the word of God for the people of God. Uh, let's pray for me, pray with me when we before we keep going. Jesus, I just want to express gratitude for the ancestors in your own family tree and for each of ours um, that are represented in this room today and online today. Thank you for the imperfect, the traumatized, the full of faith, the full of doubt, um, all of those people whose stories that we're a part of. Um, thank you that, again, God, that your unfailing love is greater than the pain and that it's the greatest thing about you. Holy Spirit, would you show us how we might learn from you today and show us how we can be more like Rahab, uh, your servant. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So have you ever met someone that was famous and because you didn't know that they were famous, you actually liked them even more because of that? Um, my husband, he used to travel a lot for work uh, when he was younger and he would go all across the U.S., Canada, Europe, and it was a lot of road miles, a lot of time just spent in small towns across all of these places. And um, so I just want you to picture this. He's sitting in a small town in the middle of America. I think it's Marshalltown, Iowa, to be exact, if anyone's been there. Um, tiny, tiny town, smaller than the graduate population at UW, just to give you an idea of how tiny this place is. And you can imagine there's, there's two introverted young men sitting at two stools at the local watering hole, just, just chatting a little bit. Um, and so my husband finishes up this conversation. He walks away, and his, like, big takeaway was, like, man, that guy was really chill. Like, I really like talking to him. What a cool guy. And then he finds out later on that this was actually Jason Aldean, the top country, like, country music star. He's got, like, 24 number one hits, um, kind of a big deal. But the whole point of that was that he just sat there and was talking to him, and he was a normal guy. Um, and so I, I think about this because... If we, if we could meet someone famous, dead or alive, I think we asked that question earlier today, I think Rahab might have just dethroned Dolly Parton for me. And that's a big deal, especially for, I know there's a lot of Dolly Parton fans in the crowd here. Um, but Rahab such, has such an incredible faith that I'm putting her into the spot of the person that I want to talk to. And studying Rahab more and more this week, it's been one of those like wow moments, like over and over again of like, wow, I've been in, like, I've been in the presence of an incredible person. How did I miss this story? 
And so in the New Testament, in Hebrews 11, uh, the author, uh, the Apostle Paul, he talks about kind of these, the faith in action across church history, uh, kind of these, his most incredible faithful people. And of this long list of men, there's two women named, and one of those women is Rahab. And Rahab had heard about God, or Yahweh, and the deliverance of these Israelites from Egypt, as we, as we read, and she believed. So set this in the context of a Canaanite society. It's a, it's a highly sexualized society that worships a plethora of pagan gods. And she's heard. And we, we know Rahab um, from this text is connected to the king of Jericho, so much so that she can kind of have this interaction with quite a bit of candor and talk directly to his people, leading them in a false direction. And she has challenging words to both the Israelite spies and these guards that depicts a level of strength that we can believe is derived both from her own story, her own personhood and identity, and this core belief that she has in God. We're constantly being formed by the things around us. And if we can imagine all of the components that contribute to our spiritual formation, we can see that Rahab's faith still flourishes even without some of the factors that we have access to today. She does not have access to a written or an oral scripture. She's without a community of believers to learn from and to shape her understanding of faith and tradition. She's just picking up snippets here and there. And she has parents who don't explicitly guide her faith. Now, our parents, regardless of who they are, have an impact on our spiritual formation because they are entwined in our formation as people, whether we want them to be or not at times. And her relationship with her parents has formed her, but we don't know how they were guiding her in understanding this one true God. Yet, she heard and she believed. And I'll be the first to tell you that community and scripture are deeply important aspects of our spiritual formation. This right now, what we're doing right now, this is deeply important. But we cannot forget the source, the God of unfailing love. And so across history, this moniker of the prostitute has followed Rahab, leading to church tradition kind of sidelining her, putting her off to the side uh, as a harlot or a great sinner. In Kate Wallace Newley of the Junior Project, uh, she writes that regardless of the circumstances, to focus on this as the primary indication of her identity misses the greater contribution she makes to the survival and history of Israel. Breaking free of the traditional view of Rahab allows us to learn afresh from the scriptures, and it gives us a fuller understanding of this ancestor of Jesus. So she's not absolved of actions or the contribution to a harming system. That's not what I'm doing here. Uh, but uh, what I want us to do is to not elevate her profession as somehow worse, as worse sin. Worse sin than what the tax collectors that Jesus hung out with, or worse sin than the white lies that I tell my husband about my spending habits. Um, <laughs> it's Christmas time. Uh, but anyways, uh, we, we got to get out of this rut. We have to get out of this rut of quantifying sin because it's making us miss so much. There's no hierarchy of sin in God's eyes. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it, it doesn't mean that there's no accountability for our sin, but our current society has elevated, has often elevated sexual sin or what we perceive as sexual sin is greater than any other sin to the point that we exclude participation in the story of God. Until they align with us, they're overlooked at most or barred or banned. Um, or sorry, the opposite. They're overlooked at least or banned at most. And so consider divorce and interracial marriage. While sex is a component of these things, both were deemed unworthy and wrong at some point in our, in our history and in our church history. And yet, of course, of course, most Christians have changed their ideas on this. They've, they've been able to think about moving from this idea of prohibition to affirmation. So are there ways that we might be wrong today, especially when we reflect on this Rahab, or in the story of Rahab? Can we become so focused on a singular label 
of another's identity that we completely overlook the truth about their place in the story of God, exactly as they are. Rahab the prostitute is a true label. That is a true moniker of who she is. But what about Rahab the woman of incredible faith, through whom God brings his future Messiah? Or not to mention that her great-grandson is the King David, one of these stories that we've heard so much about. So looking back on the prohibition of interracial marriage, we see that this also takes place in this ancient context. And we know that verses like, that frame and come before and after this story have often been used to allow hate in our own nation's context. And it's pretty crazy to realize that through Rahab and Ruth, the Moabite, who we learned about last week, that the King David comes, and he's not 100% Israelite. In fact, his grandpa Obed, a.k.a. Ruth's son, is only a quarter Israelite. And in a space where the bloodline is part of one's identity is so important, God bucks our expectations, completely flips it on its head. And God uses what culture often deems um, wrong, often through that interpretation of Scripture of what we thought we knew in that moment, to set his people straight again by flipping the script. And through Rahab, we see that faith is enough to participate in the kingdom of God here and now. Anne Clements is an author of a book called Mothers on the Margin, and she highlights that uh, Moses, Solomon, and Rahab make the same confession that God is Yahweh on earth below. Not just later, but here and now. Rahab is not just a distant story from the ancient Israelites, but her faith shapes our faith right now. Rahab's faith in Yahweh's unfailing love is what gives the spies, Joshua and the Israelites, this confidence and assurance to say, we're sure that the Lord has given us this whole land, all of this, over to us. Rahab has incredible faith. And this brings us to our second point, as God moves through Rahab as she speaks prophecy to what's going to come. Rahab becomes this conduit for the Holy Spirit to speak truth, for God to speak truth into their moment. And in verse 9, she says to the spies, I know that the Lord has given you this land. She's the one that tells them, gives those words. Like the spies are repeating what it was that she was told and and told to them. And I don't know if you ever hear this and think like, well, isn't that great? Rahab is able to have this immense faith in knowing what she's going to hope for is going to happen. And she gets to go see it happen. And I can't help but think in moments like that, that, man, wouldn't that be wonderful? Like, wouldn't it just be great if we had that same amount of faith? But maybe this is you. Maybe you're thinking, I've been applying for jobs for months over and over and over again, and nothing's happened, and somehow I have to pay for Christmas. Or maybe you're thinking about, wow, all of my children's problems at school, they just keep piling on, and I have no idea how to solve these, and I don't hear anything from God on how to, how to help my child. Or maybe you're in that point where you're like, I'm passing the middle of my life at this point, and I still feel so incredibly alone, and I haven't felt the nearness of God since college. Like, where, where is God in all of this? And so, in my own moments of despair or longing, when that anxiety is, like, mounting, and it almost starts to kind of overwhelm you in that, I know that it would, it would just feel incredible, again, to just get a glimpse. Like, if I could just get an idea that I'm going on the right path, like, just a little bit of, okay, we're doing the right thing, or, hey, I feel the presence of God for a moment. It feels like in those moments, you're like, that's all I need. I just need this tiny little bit. But in those moments is often when God feels the farthest away. And you're left feeling like, what, what is this? Where is God? So what do we do? I, I don't have a magic recipe, but I do know a few things from my own experience and from my elders that have come before me of things that we can do. And um, we can lament, we can remember, and we can pray. 
We can lament, we can cry out to God, like just full pour out, hash out with tears, anger, doubt. Like God can handle all of those things. And I want to believe that there's moments when Rahab cried out to God. Her profession, her life story, her countercultural belief amidst a context that she was in, this makes me believe that there were moments that she experienced some deep, deep hurt. And even the most resilient people we know still break. And we can remember, like, through our stories, through the stories of our families, through these greatest hits of the Bible and the deep cuts, that there are some moments of deliverance that we can hang our hat on, moments of God's grace surprising us that we can look back on and kind of think of those as our own. The Bible is a love story, and we've heard that said, and sometimes it's hard to believe it, but it's a story of people messing up, getting picked up over and over and over again by a God who loves them. And we can pray. There's something super mysterious about prayer, something that doesn't always make sense, but we can invite people into our stories by sharing our prayers. And as we connect with God and others in this action, again, we're stepping into something that's not quite clear. We don't quite know how it works. But prayer is meant to be with God, with others, and take place in a physical space that we find ourselves in. And often it's through others in this practice that we can be propped up or held up by others who are the hands and the feet of God. Tonight, or today, downstairs, the kids are learning about what it means to be the hands and the feet, and sometimes even the wings of messengers of God. And I think that we can, we can see that in one another as, as we're sharing our prayers and we're talking with each other. In 10 days from now, as Hannah said, we're going to have a, it'll be the longest night of the year on the calendar. It'll be the darkest day, um, longest number of hours that it's dark in, this, in, our, in our season. And we'll, we'll meet here at 7 for a service called Solace, and that's a time to focus on just that. And if you've ever felt like an outsider or someone who's not, not enough, like this story of Rahab is good news. It's a reminder or a foreshadowing of this good news of Christ that we get to celebrate now and today. So we know that Rahab exists at a point in time when the Israelites are nearing the end of their 40, they have 40 years in the desert that they've been exiled. They've been walking around for 40 years and this original generation that came out of Egypt, of the people that were enslaved there in Egypt, and there's only two people that are left of that generation. There's Joshua, who we've heard about, and Caleb. And they're experiencing every day a daily witness of these miracles. The, the manna that comes down, or bread that comes from heaven, and a pillar of fire to follow. Like those things that were like, man, if we just had those things every day, how great would it be? And yet they still needed someone to come in and say, like, this is the time. Like the land is going to be given to you. Like they still needed reassurance. And there are, again, so many times when I thought it would be just so helpful to know the timeline. Is this just going to be four months or 40 years? And there's this nice little light that I could follow that tells me I'm going at least the right direction. Like, if your life isn't what you thought it would be, like, can you resonate? Can you think, like, man, wouldn't that just be so nice? Like, are there things in your life that you bargain for with God? Like, hey, if I give you back all of these gifts that I've been given or all of these things that I think I've earned, like, can I get that one thing that my heart, like, really, really desires? Like that healing, the family, the relationship, just that one thing. Can I trade it all in? And God's message of unfailing love isn't to say that, that all, these, all these hard things are going to be negated or that we can make this, this great trade. It isn't to say that like, only good is going to happen and we're going to get what we want. But it's God's unfailing love that will remain steadfast whether we feel it or not. Like It's still there. And the truth of its existence will continue across time, even when we can't feel it. And in her story, Rahab first listens to these stories around her, and she responds. Just little glimpses of it. 
She listens for God, and she recognizes God's voice, God's self, and she responds to God. This results in the fact that Rahab becomes this conduit for the Holy Spirit to be able to speak the truth to the people that are, she's meant to encourage and speak it to. And so before we round the corner into our third focus point, I just want to remind you that Rahab's story invites us to encounter God's unfailing love. And I want to emphasize that the Holy Spirit can work through all of our stories. It can work through our stories to speak and exist in this world, and there is no prerequisite or a perfect life that has to happen in order to do so. But we can turn ourselves to God and seek to encounter God's love. And Rahab had this incredible faith, and through Jesus' death on the cross and leaving us the advocate, or the Holy Spirit as it's also named, we too can walk in this faith, with faith as small as a mustard seed, just that tiny little glimmer of it, in order to see the, and further the kingdom of God here and now. So again, Rahab's story invites us to encounter God's unfailing love over and over again. To experience God's love from some unlikely places, unlikely people or situations that we might have written off already. Like Rahab, we might have written her off in her story originally. Or maybe the person on the corner we've written off that they might have something to share with us. Or maybe it's our in-laws or our siblings at Christmas that can sometimes be difficult. All these people are image bearers of God. And there might be something we've missed about them that can point us to the truth about who God truly is. And this reversal of expectation is so common in the Bible. The story that we're all a part of, again, reversal of expectation happens over and over again. Um, I've been watching this show um, on Netflix. It's called Old Enough. Has anyone watched it? Maybe not. Oh, I see one hand back there. That makes me happy. So Old Enough is all about um, these little kids that, from the ages of like two to four. They get sent out to, to accomplish an errand. So their family like gives them the thing that they're supposed to go and do, and the cameramen follow them around, and they have little micro they're mic'd up so you can hear them. And you just, there's one story in particular I want to share about, about this little girl that she follows the lines. Like her instructions are to stay inside of the white line to get to dad's shop. And so she does that and she follows the lines exactly as she's supposed to do. And then she gets like the bonus errand. Like she does it so good that they're like, here, go do this other thing. And she completely fails at it. Like she gets back to her mom and just like falling, breaks down, is not going to be good, not going to complete it. Mom's like, here, have some ice cream. Let's just end this. And the little girl like in all of her three-year-old self just like finds this like energy and she like stands up and she's like, no, I want to complete the errand. Like, let's do it. So she's like bawling, but she's like, I'm going to do it. And so she gets outside and she goes out there and she's headed to the watch shop that she completely missed on the way there. And the thing that like, that really, I think just speaks to me about it, this story is that along the way, she has all of these people that she didn't even realize were like her community, but you see them pop out of their little stores and they like help her get there. And at one point, even one lady because they're not allowed to, like, help unless she asks, I think is the rule. And so at one point, she asks for help. And the lady reminds her at the end of it. She takes her to the corner and says, just keep going that way. She goes, you can ask for help. Don't forget. Like, you can ask for help. And so, just to, not to spoil it, but she solves it. She gets it. She comes back. There's celebration. These are only, like, 10 or 15 minutes. So if you ever need to, like, pick me up, just throw it on there. And you're like, oh, children, this is great. Um, but th this story, it just reminds me so much, again, of like this image of God following us along with the camera and sees us like try this really hard thing and sees us fall apart and see us in our pain and our hurt. And then he's like, but wait, look, all of these people are here to help you. Like, it's just, it's just a, it's hard not to see the biblical story as you also watch the story of these children. And then we think about being children of God in this. 
Um, and so in kind of coming back to Rahab, like in her own transformation of listening and believing and responding, she doesn't just seek deliverance for herself, but it's her, her entire family. Like these little kids are running errands, not just for themselves. They're not out there to get candy. Some of them are um, along the way. They're there to like help their family. They're doing something that helps support their whole family. And so I, I just want to summarize verses 12 through 21 of, of Joshua 2, because I've already spoiled the fact that the spies go back and deliver the message and the encouragement helps them cross the river. And, and we know that they're going to enter this land that they've been promised. But I want us to, again, summarize these, these verses that are kind of the in-between. Because Rahab courageously negotiates for her entire family before the deal is done. She asks that they would all be saved, that as the walls come down and destruction happens, she wants to make sure that her family and those that she loves are, are cared for. So even in the face of this coming brokenness, Rahab appeals to the fact that God's love, his grace, is greater than his wrath. So her faith is a faith that's directed towards the mercy of God, and it's expressed in these merciful actions towards others. So again, it's not just about her, it's about others as well. And so God is, God is all about restoration and reconciliation. We talk about that here at West a lot. Um, we know that God is working in our context and is not requiring us to reach perfection in order to, for us to be a part of it. And in the end, Rahab reminds the spies that this victory is going to be God's, that it is about God. Yes, it's for the Israelites, but it's God's victory. Just like grace, truth, and mercy is God's. These do not belong only to the Israelites. We do not have a corner on it in our religion of Christianity. It doesn't belong only to evangelical Christianity or American nationalism or woke liberalism. It doesn't, no one has a corner on mercy and grace and truth. And there's a truth about who God is in this world. We see it over and over again that God flips the script. God breaks down the walls, physically like he does in Jericho, and metaphorically. And he even flips that script in how we anticipate and experience the coming of the Messiah. Completely different than what the Israelites thought would happen. And author Graham Stanton writes in his book, The Gospel for New People, that Matthew's gospel is primarily concerned with this formation of a new identity for the people of God. Matthew's gospel is a foundational document written to shape the life and community of a new people. We too can live into that new identity as people of God. One that sees past people's labels, sees past those labels to see that they are image bearers of God. And like Rahab, we can be attuned to that presence of the Holy Spirit amidst us and respond. And in verse 21, Rahab closes her discussion with the spies, having agreed to the stipulations that they laid out. And she says to them, agreed, let it be as you say. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to hear a similar uh, agreement from Mary and her response to the angel Gabriel who will come and say, you're about to give birth to Jesus. And Mary says, let it be with me according to your plan. One of the stipulations that Rahab is given by the spies is that she's to tie a red cord in the window so that they know which is her home. Does may it be so need to be something, um, do you need to say that to something in your own life? Like because you're dictated by or not dictated, but you're just so distracted that like you can't see or experience or touch the presence of God? Like, is there something that you need to say, may it be so? Or is there a red cord? Is there an action that needs to be taken that helps you in that moment? These are not easy questions. And it's a time of year where sometimes it feels like you're just fully maxed out on everything. Like, I don't have that extra energy to look into this thing that's really hard. But what might you want to say, like, may it be so? 
And as we prepare to close, I'll invite the band back up. Um, and I just want to reiterate that God's unfailing love is greater than his judgment. God's unfailing love is greater than the judgment of humankind around us. And each year at Christmas, we have this opportunity to look back and to remember our faith. To remember our faith in God and this aspect of God's character that begins and ends with solidarity with, with humankind. And we see this embodied solidarity in the person of Jesus. Jesus who came and experienced what it was like to be with us, to walk with us, and to experience what it means to be human. And so may you enter into moments this holiday season with your own faith renewed. May you be attuned to being a conduit for Jesus, a conduit for the Holy Spirit, and may you be attuned to the ways that you can encounter Christ's love for all of you and for the others around you. So may it be so.